The Incomparable, number 413, June 2018. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell, and in this episode, we are starting something that is not a superhero tournament. I just want to make that <laughs> perfectly clear. Oh, man. It is not a superhero tournament, but we are going to do something special for the summer. We are, uh, I realized not too long ago that, first off, as you may know, Marvel movies are popular. You may also know, I mean, literally, that they are the only movies allowed to be made anymore. And even though The Incomparable has covered many Marvel movies, there are also many we have not covered because we don't always do the immediate aftermath you know, episode right after it after it comes out in the theaters, and sometimes we uh, we miss them, and we've missed a lot, and so we're going to start at the beginning, and we're going to do what I'm calling the summer of Marvel. That's right, we're in the summer of Marvel now, as of this episode, where we're going to talk about Iron Man, that is a film that began the Marvel Cinematic Universe in 2010, and or in 2008, before there was an incomparable podcast. So, of course, we didn't cover it. And 2010's Iron Man 2, which was also released before The Incomparable existed. So, <laughs> we, we have excuses for these two. Why weren't we doing episode negative 20? Well, I don't know. We a Lack of foresight, I guess, is the only answer there. Anyway, we're going to make up for it tonight. We're going to talk about Iron Man and Iron Man 2. And joining me to talk about these movies and kick off the Summer of Marvel are these following wonderful people. Dan Morin is here. Hi, Dan. Yeah, I can fly. <laughs> chip sudderth is here hi chip oh it's good to be back <laughs> gene mcdonald is here hello hello mr snell is there anything else i can get for you <laughs> how ironic brian hamilton hi jason i'm very glad to be here <laughs> all right uh that's i my, got nothing <laughs> that's my favorite line from it makes me laugh every time when jeff bridges says how ironic tony <laughs> Yes, tell us more about the irony, Mr. Man in a, in a metal suit. <laughs> um, okay, so Iron Man 2008 started this all off. This is this is the one that uh, set the, 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 uh, the franchise in motion, as it were. Um, funny to see, of course, that it is distributed by Paramount Pictures. Yep. yep. Yeah. Oh, stars flying in like this is some sort of Star Trek movie or something. <laughs> yeah, or, or an Indiana Jones movie. Indiana Jones movie. Who yeah. knows? But it, but it's not because back then Marvel wasn't really even a studios, let alone, of course, a, a part of Disney. And they uh, they decided this was actually a big. I mean, not not getting into the trivia too much, but like this is a big move by Marvel to produce its own movie rather than do what they had been doing, which was sell off parts of their intellectual property to movie studios, which is why Spider-Man went to Columbia and the X-Men went to Fox. But here they decided to take, quite honestly, I mean, let's be serious here, a B-list superhero, Iron Man, and make a movie around him. And at the time, I remember people are like, really? Does anyone want to see an Iron Man movie? Does anybody know who Iron Man is? And you know what happened? They made a they made a really good movie with perfect casting, and it was a huge hit. And they've made tens and tens of billions of dollars since then. Ever so, since, so ever since, well done, I guess. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I I read that they actually focus grouped a bunch of Marvel characters that they still had control of. They didn't have Spider Man. They didn't have the X Universe and things like that in front of a bunch of kids as well as adults 
and the they described all of these Marvel characters, and the kids went nuts over Iron Man because they could be they could they could see this they could they could put on a suit and they could zap people and they could fly mm-hmm. and that was great. So they decided that Iron Man was the most awesome superhero possible. That's who we need to start our studios with. Well, I, I was I the only like existing Iron Man fan. I'm not even gonna claim I was a huge Iron Man fan, but like I do remember. I'm not sure I had a toy of him as a kid, but I definitely had a friend who had one. I remember the little red and yellow suit, yeah, um, and having the action figure and stuff like that. And I don't think I, you know, I was not a big Avengers reader in the mid '90s, but I, I definitely knew Iron Man's background and the Iron Man story and stuff. My favorite quote about this, though. Uh, was I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but Don Cheadle when he got involved in Iron Man two, um, he is you know so, said to be a big comic book fan, but he even he he thought Iron Man was a robot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's yeah. there's a lot of that going around. Gene, go ahead. No, I was gonna say I was just looking back uh, at um Robert Roger Ebert's um review of Iron Man, yeah. and he said, oh yeah, I, I didn't even really know until I went to see the movie that it wasn't like. Uh, Tony Stark's brain in a robot. Yeah, so. yeah, that's right. There was no knowledge of it. Right. I, Dan, like you, um, so uh, my friend from college who's been on The Incomparable a little bit back in the day, especially Ben Boychuk, that's one of the things I remember from Ben when I met him was that his favorite superhero was Iron Man. And I was like, really? <laughs> like, it just, it was interesting. It's like, I knew who Iron Man was. I read the Avengers when I, in the eighties when I was reading comic books and he was, he was there. He's always been, Iron Man is funny. He's, he never broke through into the public consciousness until this movie, but he was always a key player in the Marvel universe because he was an inventor and a genius. And he was, he was one of the key figures in the Avengers. And because he was a Mm -hmm. millionaire slash billionaire, he was able to fund some of their stuff and all of that. And so he was always important with, in in Marvel circles, you you would know who he was. It's just like there was never any crossover. If you were outside of of comic bookdom, you didn't know who Iron Man was. And the funny thing is, not only did he break through with this movie, but as somebody who knew who Iron Man was before um, we got started, I always used to say that the perfect comic book casting ever was J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson, which is mm. an amazing bit of casting, by the way. It still is mm-hmm. amazing. Yep. But when they cast Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, I had a moment where I was like, oh my they got it. Like, they nailed it. And, yep. and watching Iron Man, this is a good way for us to talk about what's in this movie. It's very clear, like, the that John Favreau and uh, the producers, they all are like, this movie's going to stand or fall on Downey. It's about a guy. It's about this non-heroic person who ends up kind of being forced through trying to save his own skin and you know his worldview changes but like he becomes a superhero in a very different kind of way than we think and that he's so uh you know full of himself and he, he he's so so just a, such a character and that Downey can inhabit that and he does and the movie would not work if Downey didn't completely inhabit that part, it feels in the Ebert review, he says it feels very much like this was made for Robert Downey Jr. And I think that has to be true because I don't, I don't know how this movie works otherwise. I mean, it kind of, I mean, I don't know if it saved his career. He was working throughout, but like it certainly, he was someone who had dropped off the public consciousness probably past the eighties, right past the Brat Pack, Brat Pack era. And he was working, but he was not somebody who was a leading man basically for 15 years and kind of 
almost overnight, I feel like this catapulted him back into major like stardom, mm-hmm. probably even oh, bigger, yeah. I think, than he was in the 80s sure. because he was part of sort of that group. But like, you know, he is a, a hugely bankable star. Well, but he had won an Oscar, right? Before this um, was that. But that's from the 80s, right? When he won for Chaplin. 92, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a real big drop off for him to go, you know, from that kind of level of, of recognition and also, you know, like kind of literary serious biopic content to being a superhero. Um, and then following, I, I couldn't remember until I'm just looking it up right now on uh, IMDb what year uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes was. And that was like the next year. And then I couldn't yeah. keep them apart. Like which, which beefy version of Robert Downey Jr. Is he playing this time? <laughs> right. I think, I think right. the thing I saw him in right before this was kiss, kiss, bang, bang, which was also right. sort yeah. of one of his big sort of like, Oh yeah. Robert Downey Jr. Remember when he was in, in things? Yeah. yeah. And apparently Shane mm-hmm. Black, who directed that movie, uh, wrote yeah. directed that movie was involved in the production of Iron Man two. And of course directed Iron Man three, which we're yeah. not talking about in this episode. Um, but, uh, yeah, Downey, it just, it's a huge, it, it, there are lots of good things about this movie. Um, I remember when this movie came out in 2008, same year that the dark Knight came out. And because I liked, as people now know, but I was two years away from being the host of the incomparable. I, I like saying, <laughs> making occasional statements that are, that are, uh, that make especially kind of nerd, uh, accepted fact, uh, questioned. Because, bring it, bring it, Jason. Bring and so it, bring it was it. like, I, I thought Iron Man was a way better movie than Dark Knight. And everybody's yes. like, oh, the Dark Knight is so great. It's so great. It's like, okay. I really right. like Iron Man. It's fun. <laughs> like, and, yeah. that's, and, that's, <laughs> and if I had to say, like, Dark Knight, is it fun? I don't know. Uh, Iron Man, it's fun. It's fun. It's not, not it's got dark things yes. in it, but it's a fun, it's a fun movie. Re- rewatching it feels like less of a, like, if you're like, oh, God, the Dark Knight, do I want to rewatch that movie? <laughs> Oh, the boats. Like Iron Man, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, boats. I'll rewatch Iron Man. Yeah. It's fun. I, yeah. insta- With- I instantly signed up for this uh, episode yeah. of The Incomparable because I, re- and I haven't seen it since 2008. And wow. I was like, I know I love that movie. It was so great at the time. So, With this movie, you see people at play that uh, mm-hmm. this and the second movie uh, and to, to very it succeeds or doesn't succeed in various places across the two films. But they are having so much fun putting this thing together. Um, Jeff Bridges was quoted recently as he was frustrated by the improv nature of uh, how these, <laughs> how his movie was made. And Iron Man 2 is just as improv. You can tell that in the dialogue. You can tell that just sort of how things run. But he said he finally made peace at it when he realized that it was he he was going to look at this as a 200 million dollar student film and just let it go he wanted <laughs> he he wanted everybody to know their lines going onto this uh, on this that's not that's not what these movies are all about these are these are excellent actors riffing and for the <laughs> most part it really works that sounds like patrick stewart mm, yeah <laughs> Brian, what do you think about the about Iron Man? My favorite thing about watching this movie in particular, because I, I had seen this movie before I saw The Avengers in 2012, and then Iron Man was the only movie I'd seen going into The Avengers in 2012. 
with all of the Marvel exhaustion lately, it's it was so refreshing rewatching these movies and not needing to know 500 different little factoids about different characters and settings and props and Infinity Stones and whatever. Mm-hmm. Just going in, having fun, watching this guy learn and grow in a really interesting way, and just not worrying too much about the rest of the Marvel Universe. Because this is the one that started everything off. This is the perfect... Like, it was refreshingly boring compared to all the other movies <laughs> that... They put that on the box. So... <laughs> well, it's, it's, boxes? What? It's simple. It, it, it's simple in a way. Back in the day, they had boxes, Brian. Anyway, uh, it's simple in a way, right? It's pretty straightforward. Like, there is there is a flashback sequence in it, which is, the, the, so it's not entirely linear, but you don't need to know anything about anything in Iron Man. It is it is literally just a movie what? about what, how Iron Man happens. That's it. Which is so refreshing. Yeah, one of the things I do love about this whole thing, and, and you know, seeing, since we're kicking off the MCU coverage here, about the MCU as a whole, and I think I talked about this a little bit on the Infinity War podcast that we did, is because it was so frustrating as, you know, starting out in the 90s as a teenager, going and picking up comic books, and it felt like there were, you know, decades of backstory, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, my God, am I going to take the time to go and read all these things? And in, in the mid-90s, there was no Wikipedia to quickly get a summary of, like, yeah. oh, what's the basic gist of this character? And so being able to start with kind of a clean slate and be in it from ground zero and just all the way up, like, was kind of cool and as someone who came into it with a little bit of a comics background, enough to catch Easter eggs and like references and stuff like that, it was delightful uh, to be able to feel like in on some stuff that clearly had been put there for people who were existing comic fans while not requiring you to know anything about it uh, because it also was not really based on any of the continuity that preexisted, right? Like they took a lot of liberties with things, but it's now turned into its own continuity. And so... I think, you know, viewing this from the other end of the spectrum of Infinity War, where there is so much more going on because we have 20 different movies, um, it was, as Brian said, refreshing to come back in at the, the, the beginning and be able to sort of remember like, oh, yes, this is where this is where we started establishing things. And, and through through lines that came up here that I felt have really persisted all the way through the MCU. And I, I was just looking over the list of MCU movies and I thought to myself, I'm pretty sure i've seen every single mcu movie in a theater and that is oh, I, i'm wow. not sure how many other things well, i can say that about <laughs> it's definitely taken up a lot of uh, a lot of my theater space too yeah so, all but one for me but yeah interesting okay well i should just you know full disclosure i haven't seen very many of them at all i mean i've seen iron man and i've seen avengers and i i saw the spider-man with um toby mcguire but i haven't that doesn't, that doesn't watched count. any new new spider-man so yeah all right well the, you you picked a good one because this is the first one so you need to know nothing about it um Yay. so uh, so the way this movie starts uh is it's an interesting i remember at the time people are like all right how are they going to do the origin story of iron man because in the mm. comics iron man this story basically plays out in vietnam and so what yep. they did is they have it play out in afghanistan so he is uh, he is captured. He is told to build a weapon. He instead builds, a, sort of like through various diversion, he and, and Yinsen, um, who he befriends, uh, or who befriends him in the cave in Afghanistan, they build what ends up being the, he, he, he's driven by the demands of, uh, of, of the, the guy who is uh, working on, uh, who is like in charge of the people who are holding him hostage, who is, um, oh, what's his name? 
It's the guy who's in. He's in Star Trek too. Anyway, he's yeah. He's I, I looked him up and now I'm playing. I love that. I love was. that guy. He's he's great. He's I a good actor. I can't I can't remember his name now. Um, Faran Tahir. Faran Tahir. Yeah, I just found it. He's great. Um, so he demands that they build this thing, and so Tony, like, is the mother of invention. Is like he's suddenly like, I, I can do this. I'm going to do the arc reactor thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna figure this out, and I'm going to build a suit, and then I can get out of here. And that that's very much right out of the comic book, except here we see it, uh, you know, in in Afghanistan instead of in Vietnam. But it's a it's it's a similar kind of thing. He's wounded. He's got the electromagnet in his heart to keep him alive. So there's this synthesis of man and machine storyline that's going on here. Um, he can stay alive and. In a uh, spectacular scene, I would say, mm-hmm. as they're just about to break break in and basically stop him from doing this, putting this secret thing together, he bursts out of the uh, of of the uh, the doors um, and is this big hulking, very much like the original Iron Man, yep. just kind of in the hulking suit and breaks out of the facility. Yinsen is killed. It's a, I, I think a, an incredibly effective moment when he's been telling Tony all along that he's going to go see his family when this is all done. He says, my family's all dead. I'm going to see them now. And it's very sad. And Tony just, it's like, he doesn't even understand uh, what, like what, why he would sacrifice and do all of these things. It's a real, I think growing, and learning moment for Tony Stark there, and then he escapes. That's the beauty of uh, the story of the character and Downey's portrayal. Somehow, he is a complete jerk, and yet Downey ha- imbues him with the charisma that you recognize he's a jerk, and you can't help liking him anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 then, um, particularly with Jensen's death, um, he starts finding a way to care more and to learn to understand sacrifice because as you said uh jason up to that point there's it just doesn't compute mm-hmm. well it's a whole redemption story right i mean and and i i've noted in my as i was watching this through is like you have a pretty good idea of who this guy is in the first minute of this film right the whole scene with him and the soldiers and the humvee oh yeah and mm-hmm. and sort of no teasing them yeah. no Throw it up, throw up the, you know, no game signs. Throw it up there. Yes, yeah. is it is it cool if I take a picture with <laughs> you? Drink, yes, it's very while, it's, while he's it's drinking very cool. scotch or whatever. He's drinking yeah. scotch in a Humvee, right mm-hmm. in Afghanistan, right? This guy is blasé. Yeah. He is like super, you know, too cool for school. And I I think that's that's huge testament to Downey's portrayal because he nails this character in the first minute of the movie, and. That whole sequence, I mean, I checked the time, and it's about 45 it's minutes. very quick. Like, yeah. well, But it's about 45 minutes until we get the suit and, like, the yeah. end of him being trapped, right? There's a little flashback at the beginning. But um, there's a lot in there that is very powerful, including the whole idea of, like, his weapons are used against him. Yeah. And they're used by people attacking Americans. Uh, and that whole scene with him giving the weapons demonstration right with with to the, all the to all the army brass and he's got the whole like standing up there as everything explodes behind him very right. theatrical like it is just such a, a great encapsulation of who this guy is in this first 45 minutes of the movie and like what's going to drive him to the point of redemption like you're like you're it's like it's like a christmas carol right it's like what is going to get scrooge to change his ways yep Mm-hmm. Conversely, we also have a very silly like this is Tony Stark, founder of Stark Industries yeah. and inheritor. Mm-hmm. Like we had that very silly segment at the very beginning of the flashback, which I guess you need. And if they're gonna have that moment, 
they did a really great job of tying it into the fact that he doesn't care about anybody but himself. He's playing craps in a casino at the same time this whole uh, vanity presentation is being done about him as he's accepting this award, which is a very smooth move. Yeah, and that's also where yeah. we get to meet um, Rhodey, who is the responsible mm-hmm. one and his military liaison who has to accept the, the award on his behalf and then goes down and finds him in the casino, right? So he's irresponsible. He's kind of out of control. All of those things we get pretty quickly, and then we kind of end up back in the in the cave. But um, it, it gets to establish sort of like where his what his place is in the world, and the fact that he has handlers, right? He has Pepper, and he has Rhodey, and they're like the adults trying yeah. to channel this genius. Right? It's clear he's a genius, but he has no self control as best <laughs> as best they can. And yeah, and it's funny, yeah. right? I mean, it is funny. He has as as kind of miserable as it would be to work with Tony. Tony Stark. It is funny <laughs> to watch how creative and interesting he is in the ways that he does just horribly irresponsible things. That's Tony Stark in a nutshell. Which is why Downey. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Downey's background being in rehab a bunch and yeah. kind of being seen as a guy who's totally mm-hmm. out of control. Like that's one of the reasons it's perfect casting. Is like I, not, I not, think they lean into that. Yeah. Yeah. Not only uh, yeah. not only the Downey knows about that, but that we. As an audience, it's it's not bad shorthand to say, you know who this guy is, right? He's kind of messed up. And it's just it's there from the moment you you watch it because you get you you know who this guy is already because of who's playing him. Yeah, a lot of the comics that were I'm sure were very influential in making this movie. Tony Stark had a Playboy personality, but like most comic book personalities in the eighties, it wasn't actually it it was fairly two dimensional. It wasn't fair, fairly, you know. There, he he was not very Robert Downey Jr. in the comics back then. Uh, big runs by David Michelinie or uh, Denny O'Neill. You know, you didn't get a whole lot of this. Robert Downey Jr.'s performance is so strong. Is that the impact of that is from two thousand eight on? Every Marvel comic mm-hmm. featuring Tony Stark featured Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he bent the comics reality around himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Um, Jeff Bridges, I should mention, like here's one of our great actors, <laughs> and he's in here playing the bad guy, yeah. uh, Obadiah Stane, and uh, a really good. I, I read a, another piece about this movie um, in prepping for this episode where um, somebody was pointing out like. He's a good villain. He's a good mm-hmm. villain because you see his side of it. He has mm-hmm. been... You talk about adults who are who are charged with doing responsible <laughs> things while Tony Stark is irresponsible. He's in charge of Stark Industries, right? He His whole job is to do what Wall Street wants him to do and what the government wants him to do, which is be this military contractor and keep selling more weapons. And when Tony comes back from Afghanistan, he's like, we should get out of the weapons business. He He's put... Uh, at odds with Tony because he knows he's responsible for this company. And yes, he does end up working with terrorists to build a super suit that he can use to, to, to destroy Tony. And, we all make mistakes, you know, <laughs> but it is pretty good. I would say it not only is his performance pretty good with his, with his shaved head and his yeah. like, but chumminess with Tony. And you feel like he's a little too chummy. Like it's not, it's kind of a put on, like it's a good performance and it's also a, a good, I think it's a well-written role in the sense that you get why he is doing what he, it's not unexpected, other than the fact that he ends up being working with the terrorists all along, to yeah. uh, to see like 
he, he it's plausible i guess is what i'm saying it, it also starts our great precedent in the mcu of having really top-notch actors uh <laughs> not only in like the you know supporting roles but in the villain roles i feel like i feel like that is something that has continued to this day is i'm always curious to see who they who they trot out to play the villain in a movie whether it be you know josh brolin or kate blanchett or something right like it's i think jeff bridges i i kind of think about how every actor in some ways has been incorporated into the MCU now. And you start to think about characters or actors and think about like, oh yeah, they could get so-and-so. And when I think, yeah, they could get Jeff Bridges. No, I guess Jeff Bridges was already yeah. in him all the way back <laughs> 10 years ago. Yeah. I remember watching this and thinking, wait, Jeff Bridges is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Oh, he's the villain of this movie, which means he <laughs> died. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. I was, I remember being sad, you know, not sad, but just... Jeff Bridges, I had a certain picture of him in my mind, mainly, you know, from going back even like to Starman, um, like the sweet guy, fabulous Baker boys, handsome and all that. And it was funny to see him with his head shaved. But when I realized, you know, he was going to be really evil and the bad guy, (laughs) I was like, I don't really want to go there. And I'm glad he's dying at the end because I don't want him to come back. Uh, Certain actors I like to, I just don't want to see him be the villain on and on. Kind of reminds me of Kurt Russell in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Same era. When you have a movie that boils down to essentially guys fighting in suits for the climax of all of these movies, you yeah. need a villain that can anchor down some sort of uh, empathy in the audience and make you think, mm-hmm. oh, no, there's a reason we're watching these two grown men fight in suits because there's you know, stakes to it. There's real emotional stakes to it. And Jeff Bridges did an excellent job of that All- in this movie. Also, Jeff Bridges does not care if the that lady and her kids in the minivan die, but Tony <laughs> totally does. So, he's right. yeah. you know, he works really hard. Also, he, I mean, what, what Stain's undoing, or at least part of his undoing, is just that he hasn't been doing the suit stuff as long as Tony, right? When he freezes right. in the altitude mm-hmm. of the atmosphere, like that's just because Tony already learned that lesson. <laughs> that's, uh, right. you know, it, so it's not like he's fundamentally flawed in that way. He's just behind a little bit behind Tony. Jeff Bridges delivers at every point in this film up until the final act, and he's in the suit. And how ironic, how ironic, Tony. Yeah. Tony. Yeah. Also, it yeah. doesn't doesn't help that they make his voice super echoey and really scary at the yeah. end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But even but even when he pops the helmet and is shouting, yeah. you know, at that point, that's when the movie sort of falls down a little bit, and he becomes a. Type. Oh, so he's he a superhero a villain type. Choose, choose of, some scenery, buddy. Yep. Yeah. Ex- but uh, up until that point, Bridges, Downey Jr., Paltrow, they're acting up a storm, and you can see it, and it, it, you get you almost get spoiled for it. They set a template that just about every other actor who's been in a Marvel movie since then have met, they've sort of looked at this and said, "Oh, wow." Actors can actually do a good job in a superhero <laughs> blockbuster. We don't have to phone it in. As a matter of fact, if we do phone it in, people will notice. It all it all happens based, starting from this movie. Yeah. And that and that the movie can be fun too. I think that there was definitely a feeling like uh, and this extended beyond this, which is a strange choice, but they chose chose it with like sort of the DC movies getting kind of darker and uh, darker and grittier following the Christopher Nolan movies that they decided to go in that direction as a contrast to Marvel. I get why it, why they sort of went down that route, except it, it's also like in a contrast to the ones that are successful. Mm, maybe that was not the way to go. But um, because I remember just what a breath of fresh air this movie was. There are there had been so many gritty 
uh, superhero takes and also sort of sad. Uh, like as much as I like some of what Sam Raimi did with the Spider-Man movies, which we do need to talk about sometime separate from this, um, like Tobey Maguire in those movies, he's so he's so unhappy and he's yeah. just miserable. He's a sad <laughs> sack the whole time. And and there is this thought of like, you got superpowers now, you should like be happy. And there are moments where he's happy, but mostly he's just miserable. And in Iron Man, you know, there's bad stuff that happens in Iron Man. He does he has shrapnel near his heart. He might die. He's being held captive. There's all of this stuff, and yet there is kind of a joy and a lightness to it that is a relief compared to some other movies like this. Look how much time they take on the test flight of the Mark II suit Mm. and how joyous that is. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, that's exactly, I mean, coming into the 2000s, I think there was a trend in pretty much any sort of big blockbuster franchise movies towards the gritty and the dark. Uh, I think about it in terms of Batman, as you mentioned, Jason. I think about it in terms of uh, James Bond, um, I, I think that was a very big trend. And so this, I think, does the best job, you know, as much as the MCU does, of actually, ca- like, capturing the fundamental sort of comic book element or tone where there is fun and wonder alongside... There is drama, but it's not gritty, brutal drama. It is conflict and like will the good guys triumph right Mm -hmm. like and it sort of harkens back to the original comic book feelings of it and i do think that the that marvel for whatever you know whatever they're doing right there whatever kevin feige and his studio are doing right there they have really kind of nailed the tone and moreover you know again sort of extending that out like 18 19 movies on they've remained remarkably (laughs) consistent they have done a really good job of producing a product, frankly, that is very consistent throughout its entire run. And that, over the course of, you know, 18, 19 movies, it's not nothing. No, that's a big, <laughs> it's it's big. And those dark and gritty, you know, superhero movies of the early 2000s, they were trying to legitimize the superhero genre. Mm-hmm. Like, no, no, it's okay. Yeah. We can be yeah. older people and still appreciate the because look at how dark it is and mature yeah. it is. But yeah. Iron Man was the first step toward having a fun superhero movie and legitimizing it because, again, everyone in it is giving it their all. It's great. My favorite scene in this movie, by the way, I, I'll, I'll, I'll just mention it here. If you've got favorite scenes that we haven't touched on yet, you should do it. You should mention them. But my favorite one is where Tony takes off and goes to Afghanistan and mm. lands, lands in that, in that village. And you see him like target the, the guys who are taking the families hostage and then they're going to execute the husbands and, uh, the wives and the kids are being car- carted off somewhere. And, uh, he like targets multiple people at once and you're like, whoa, this suit is crazy. And then a tank fires at him and he fires back and walks away with the explosion. You got to walk away <laughs> when the explosion is going to happen. But that whole that whole segment, which ends with him in a dogfight with American mm-hmm. fighter jets and uh, they, they, they like he, he breaks the sound barrier and you see the little kind of like moisture pulse and he ends up underneath the belly of one of the jets all the while having a phone call with Rhodey <laughs> acting <laughs> like oh, the tops down. I was just jogging in the canyon. No, it's me. It's me. I'm, I'm in. It's a suit. It's me. Like that whole, I love that scene. <laughs> seen so much i could watch that on an, on a loop because it is <laughs> it is him taking the armor out for a spin he he yeah he saves the the dad who's going to be executed and all of that too and then he gets in the dogfight with the airplanes and he, he you owe me a plane is how that scene ends because yes. of course he yeah. breaks <laughs> the wing of one of the planes but he does save the guy who's parachuting out of it and the uh, one traditional yeah. 
heroic moment in the whole film, by the way. Yeah. Yes, it's yeah. the only yeah. friendly neighborhood Spider-Man moment. Yeah, well, you break it, you bought it. <laughs> So I guess you gotta, I guess you gotta do that. But then he's like, we need to talk. Rhodey's like, we need to talk. And so it advances the story, but it's also, it's just so much fun to see him. Like, I'm going to do, I'm going to go, I'm going to fly from LA to Afghanistan in my robot suit and save a bunch of people, break a jet and uh, make a few phone calls along the way. Like, why not? He's he's multitasking. I think my, my personal favorite, my personal favorite brief shot is the first scene where he's testing the repulsor. We just give it a little oh, bit, just a ten percent thrust. The yeah. that, at that point, if you don't know what kind of movie you're in for when he yeah. ricochets off the <laughs> ceiling, yeah. then you you better and know after that. He point. hits the ceiling, and then the uh, the little robot arm that he talks to sprays him with uh, yeah. fire extinguisher. The, you know what? I love the robot arms. I'm glad they the, persist throughout these movies. <laughs> yeah that 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 is one of the fu- the more fun things is that whole thing with the fire extinguisher mm-hmm. and the, the robot arm that like totally is modeled on like a dog cocking its head <laughs> yeah. like oh are, did i do the right thing sir you know but i think my favorite like sequence is you know in the cave building the original suit yeah, because okay. That is just like very, very exciting. And, you know, you know, they're going to, you don't know exactly what you're going to see. Like I didn't. So again, going back to me who had never read it, read any of the comic books. um, I just was like, what is, what are they going to build? How can it be that good to, to be, get them out of this when they're so outnumbered and so outgunned, but. No, it's Tony Stark, yeah. and he he knows guns. <laughs> yeah. My favorite thing about those... So, in the first movie, we have these uh, these terrorists as the main villain of the movie, or one of the main villains of the movie. And in the second movie, we have um, a Russian group of people that are the main villains of that movie. And I think about the patriotism in the movie that's not Captain America... And I think about how Tony Stark survived this intense experience at the beginning of the first Iron Man. And then instead of doing the quote unquote patriotic thing that Jeff Bridges is doing and, you know, leaning further into weapons and making sure that, you know, we are more armed than everyone else, his first instinct is to, uh, get out of the weapons business entirely, which is a really cool inversion of what the Stark Industries, uh, what they were all about at the time. And I think it's a really cool uh, inversion of standard patriotic ideals. I really liked from that, incidentally, there's a line that he says there that really jumped out at me where he says, I saw I've become part of a system that is comfortable with zero accountability. And what I liked about that was that's kind of a through line with Tony Stark, right? Because that's the whole issue that we see way later on down the, the road in Civil War is Tony Stark arguing that there should be some accountability, that there should be oversight. So, I, again, I think it's interesting to watch the seeds, some of the seeds that get planted very far in advance for this character and their his behavior as we go through this massive franchise. Not that it's a continuing through line for him. They, he, there are some peaks and valleys, and yeah, he, he hits some serious valleys in the next movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I think my favorite sequence in the in the movie is the looking at it now in 2018 is the uh when he escapes from the cave and the cinematography of that is Mm. so i don't want to say dated but it is so unlike what we get today uh in in the mcu um it's gritty there's grain to the film and they apply that sort of grain to the cgi that they use for the suit um it looked it it looked old and it looked 
grounded in a way that mm-hmm. stuff in Infinity War, you know, Tony Stark running around with nano nanotech armor in Infinity War is very, very, very different uh, from mm-hmm. him in this in this kit bashed suit, and and it is it is just filmed so realistically. Uh, it, when he's crouched in the flames, um, it it I'm 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 failing with words here, but. It looks so unlike any of the stuff that came with bigger budgets later on, and I think it's actually it it actually very well serves this movie. It both engenders the formula and is weird because the formula hasn't been been established yet. Yeah, and also it's uh we need to know who he is here, and so we see him the way you know we we need to see him building and all of that and by infinity war i feel like it's like you know who this guy is he can just he has armor sometimes like it's 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 like a shortcut more than anything else like it's just so easy to do that but here he needs to work for every little bit that he gets which which he does um i we mentioned her but i at least want to touch again on gwyneth paltrow as pepper mm-hmm. she is shown to be relentlessly competent uh, again, very hard to deal with Tony. They have a back and forth that I, I know that they said um, at the time that they, they they wanted to be a little bit of a kind of screwball almost kind of back and forth mm. where there's a there's a there's an attraction there, but they're also kind of like being professional. And, you know, there is that scene where he goes to the party and she's there and they have their their moment up on the rooftop. And he ends up I think that's when he ends up leaving with the reporter from Vanity Fair. Uh, who then comes back at the end, and which leads, by the way, to a fantastic bit of screenplay, which is when um, later in the movie Tony says to her, "You remember that night," and uh, and we all know what he yeah. means because we just saw it in the movie. And how could you forget? Which she's wearing that dress, and there they have that moment on the rooftop, and she says, "Oh yeah, where you ran out and left me standing on the rooftop," <laughs> and like. Yeah, that's right. He he took off and and left her standing there. And it's such a great moment because now we are in her shoes, which is, or or, or are we in his shoes? Like we saw that moment too. And it's like, you can remember the romance of it, but she remembers (laughs) the complete irresponsibility of him leaving her high and dry. It is, it's really every time I watch the movie, it drops like a bomb with me where I'm like, oh yeah, because it's so easy to remember the romance of it and not remember the fact that he was totally a jerk. (laughs) I don't it's, know. It's a bit, it's Raising great. my hand here, when he says, you remember that night, I thought, it must be a different night than the one I'm thinking. <laughs> and then Gwyneth Paltrow it, uh, is right so on good. there with you, huh? Yeah, but it's it's so good, right? Because she immediately calls her, and it's like, no, that's not how it went. And uh, there's the romantic ideal of it, and then there's the reality, which is you were actually a jerk. And uh, it's a great it's a great moment. I'm not a big Gwyneth Paltrow fan for lots of reasons in universe and out of universe, but I like I like this <laughs> back and forth. Uh, she gets she has some infiltration she has to do with Stark Industries at, at several points. I think she does a good job. I think Pepper comes across as being uh, a very capable person who has to again. I think we're all on her side because we're all on the side of people who have to deal with Tony Stark because that's got to be hard. I mean. She sh- she saves the day in the end. She does. She beats the bad guy in the end. Yeah, it's her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um. Uh, this and the next movie, you know, made in two thousand eight and two thousand ten. Uh, between that and uh, sort of the the time, it's a pre Me Too kind of time. Um, it's made by John Favreau, and the Marvel movies have all 
um, looking forward to the Guardians of the Galaxy movies and all. You know, there's a certain, as the British would say, laddishness yep. to them. Yep. <laughs> um, and uh, and I was I was really interested in your reaction, Gene, to how women are treated in these two movies. I don't think you would call these movies woke in any possible way. <laughs> no, no. But but you can actually sort of see it off in the distance from here with the way that Pepper is uh, treated competently. Yeah. Uh, Christine Everhart, char- the Christine Everhart character is. Uh, treated as an it's objectified and yet gets her moments back later in the movie you know it's these are not feminist movies um Uh-oh. but but i was i was curious about how you reacted to it gene because i do see I, I do see glimmers of hope in them well i mean it, it's kind of hard to watch a movie where the person that you are rooting for um is just constantly, you know, surrounding himself with bikini clad women Uh dancing around half naked, you know, and not and hitting on most of the women he makes eye contact with. Uh So you know, that's, it's, it's hard to swallow. And honestly, I I know I saw Iron Man three, and I don't remember many details about it. But it doesn't get that much better in Iron Man two, you know, and he he's, he's hitting on, on, uh, you know, she who is the Black Widow, uh, right? <laughs> the whole time as well, thinking that and she's he, just a, one of his uh, one of his lower ranked her. employees. Yeah, yeah. He wants. You know, he's like, I need one can of I those. Have one? No. Yeah, can yeah. I have one? You know, and that's just like really after all that you went through in in Iron Man One, you still behave like this. And it may, it's a bit okay. Maybe it's a shtick. Maybe it's not so. He's he's reformed and he kind of knows better but he still can't help himself. I mean, we should move on to Iron Man 2 because it does, this is a good thread to carry us over. I I think, I I get what Chip is saying. Like, our main character who is our hero who we were supposed to root for, he is a womanizer. His behavior is bad across a lot of ways, but especially his sexual politics are, are, um, are, like, uh, yeah, old, the oldest of the old school, I guess you could say. (laughs) But what, Maybe this is the glimmer Chip was seeing. It's a character flaw. Like, it's not portrayed as... There are moments in Iron Man 2 where it's portrayed as sort of cute, but only in the moment that Pepper's batting them down. Do I feel that? But I do feel like the movies are pretty clear that... You know, let us tell you all the reasons that Tony Stark is is a flawed human being and his relationship with women... At least the way I always have read it is that's that's one of them. And the beginning of Iron Man Two is like literally. I was saying this last night while we were watching Iron Man Two. Like the first twenty minutes of Iron Man Two is fascinating because it's basically doing a victory lap from Iron mm-hmm. Man the original. But what mm-hmm. the subtext is is this is bad. Like all of this is excess. He's yeah. got his eye. He took his eye off the ball, and it and mm-hmm. it's it's. I really like the subversiveness of that. Like everything that Tony does in the first 20 minutes is the victory lap. It is the spoils of being an awesome dude. And yet the movie, you know, whether you see it coming or not, I guess it, it it's going to lay him low, but I would argue that the movie is saying all along, look how much he's, he's blown it. But by taking he's literally yeah. dying inside. You, well, we yeah. do see, yes, he's actually dying while this is all going on. Yes. <laughs> well, which which right. to a certain extent is, is, also an aspect of that right because he's be, he's behaving in a way that is 
not uncommon for people who have, you know, like he's giving away his stuff, right? He's like, he's acting in very self-destructive ways. That is one way that that sort of like can manifest his, mm-hmm. his sort of morbidity can, can manifest. Um, I think that the problem, the challenge extends beyond just Tony Stark's behavior. The scene that caught me this time watching through is the scene where Happy drives um, uh, Black Widow to um, Hammer's uh, facility towards the end. And she has to change in the back Mm -hmm. of the car. And he's like, you know, peeping basically. Yeah, swerving in the road. And she has eyes on the road. Yeah, It's... it's, John Favreau's camera is very... Oh, I I think that's the worst thing in either movie is the way that 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 natasha is treated it's the extra awkwardness of that is because he is in the scene and he is the director (laughs) feels weird that said Mm -hmm. there is an undercut i do love the sequence that comes directly after that where they have to work their way through all the goons and happy decides to box one dude while black widow basically runs through a line of guys (laughs) because that is a fantastic scene from the act from choreography like yeah. everything about that is yeah. great and it feels like maybe they were setting it up to do a um to do like a, a juxtaposition there between him treating her as like an object versus her basically just like walking over a whole bunch of dudes sure um uh, but it doesn't i think so it, but but at the same time it is very much of its 2010-ness i think there in that it's you know there were a lot of criticisms of just throughout Star Trek Into Darkness for having a particularly exploitative scene in it with one of the female characters, which felt superfluous. And I think that that could have been conveyed in a way that didn't feel quite as exploitative. Yeah. And and yeah, and this will be my last uh, point on the – this will be my last comment on the subject is even for 2008, 2010, even both movies have moments where they talk about stuff like, you know – Tony's behavior is actually really inappropriate in a workplace. Yeah. It really is sexual harassment, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. or could could veer that way. And that's kind of that that's kind of enlightened. So while all of this stuff is happening in the movies uh, that demonstrate that Tony's not great and the sexual politics of these movies is not great, those are those are the kinds of moments when uh, Pepper stands up for herself and says, "No, this is actually inappropriate." That I'm like, "Yeah, they they on a certain level they get it." They shouldn't have to have these femme characters grow in that way and shouldn't have to have them in that position. But I agree. They do have great moments standing up to Tony. Yeah, I feel like the and this is replayed in the Avengers, by the way, at the beginning where Black Widow also kills a whole bunch of people. Uh, And it's and it's very much the and we always said that's the Joss Whedon Buffy moment where it's like, oh, there's just a girl tied to a chair and a bunch of beefy Russian guys around. Uh, she's she's doomed and she she basically knock takes them all out and uh, mm-hmm. but it happens here too and it is a funny scene where John Favreau finally knocks the guy out and it's like I got him and looks I got him. and there's like ten <laughs> dead guys scattered around or, or knocked out guys yeah. at the very least but uh, that that I don't feel like that buys quite enough uh, you know I think Natasha you know she is kind of there to be leered at by Tony and probably by the audience and yes there's a reversal. But it, it doesn't quite it, land. It's not. Yeah, it, it's not quite enough. And, and you know, quite honestly, the only scene in this movie that I think really pays off Scarlett Johansson is the scene with Nick Fury, um, which is a wonderful scene where he asks Tony to come out of the donut at the, yeah. the giant donut <laughs> at the top that. of the donut <laughs> shop in L.A. And after you- 
have to ask you to exit the donut. <laughs> exit the donut. And then, and then uh, she shows up, and he's like, "Oh, you are working with Nick Fury, okay?" And they have a they have that conversation. I think I like that. I love that scene. I think it's a great Samuel L. Jackson scene too, um, as well as the mm-hmm. other scene where he brings him the suitcase. Like Samuel L. Jackson, yes. this is like really the first time we see Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury, and his he's only in two scenes basically, but they're great scenes. And that's a good sh- scene with Scarlett Johansson. But the rest he of gets, it, it's like it's one more at the end where he gets to read him his debris. Uh, oh right, that you're not as you're well, not which qualified. Is also, a pretty good, yeah. Also, a pretty good <laughs> but with Scarlett Johansson, I feel like there's a little too many scenes of her being basically eye candy, and not quite enough scenes of her being competent for it to balance out. Yeah, it's also not her strongest movie. I think this character and her portrayal of this character improve throughout the MCU. Totally, but one mm-hmm. of the things that falls flat, and this is her. Her acting job in this is not stellar. I think her stunt work is really good. Uh, and I think she gets a couple good scenes, but a lot of them, even just line deliveries, things like that, felt like she was not entirely comfortable in the role or something. There's, it's just a yeah, little off. It's and, weird and having not seen the character, her since, right? The, the, exactly, the, not the character yeah. that we know from later movies. Is yeah, the thing. totally. Well, for no. most of the movie, she's playing a bit. You know, she yeah, is. She's, she's playing she's, Natalie. She's Natalie, the intern. <laughs> She's Natalie the intern, and she's she's pitched a lot. She's pitched a lot meeker and and more yeah. flirty. Um, we get to see her doing something different when she's with uh, Fury and uh, when she's in action later. But she doesn't really fully come into her own um, as the Black Widow we uh, we so know and fear until Avengers. Avengers. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Just well, give her a movie. I, She's the most interesting right. character in the entire cinematic universe. <laughs> that was going to be my my uh, complaint. But again, you know, I remember, I don't remember from the first movie that she was even in it, really, because I wasn't really familiar with, I was not familiar with the character at all. And only since then, having seen the Avengers, you know, when I was watching it this time, I'm like, oh, she's in this. She's really in this. You know, the first uh, Iron Man one. And um I just, uh, I think that if you don't know, you the way it plays is very odd that they brought in this second female character. Like, I did know it's Scarlett Johansson, right? Right. You know, so another name star uh, with Gwyneth Paltrow, and it's not clear what's really going on there if you don't know. So I think I think they don't really know how to, how to, that's one of those cases where it's kind of, um, it's always going to be a little awkward to um, bring in the audience that doesn't know and the audience that does know and right. do it well. Some other uh, actors we should mention here. I want to start by mentioning that. So, so Terrence Howard is Rhodey in Iron Man. Uh, one of the mm-hmm. rare examples of a recasting in the Marvel Cinematic Universe's universe. They decided they didn't want to work with Terrence Howard anymore. <laughs> and so John, Don Cheadle is Rhodey in this one. And there was a, his, fir, his opening line, he's ba- basically is like a, a, I forget what the line is, but he's basically like, yeah, well. Yeah, it's me. Get used to yeah, it. Yeah, it's me. Get that. used to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, after okay, boy, yeah, new guy. After Terrence Howard has his like longing look at the Iron Man Next time, suit baby. In, in, yeah, next time, baby. Well, nope. <laughs> sorry, Terrence. Not next time. One of two, I would note, uh, we also have, there's a different actor used in the clips of Howard Stark in the oh, yeah. first movie. That's true. Rather than John Slattery, John Slattery. who afterwards right. is the, oh, and I- I do love John. And you know, we had two Hulk actors, but that's another episode. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Um, I, the Don Cheadle, I really love Don Cheadle. Um, have been a fan of his for years and he's a tremendous actor. Yeah. Uh, I, he's, 
I don't know if he's the right character, the right actor for Rhodey. I'm very happy with him. Like he was definitely not a you know how I envisioned that character. Uh, I think Terrence Howard might have been closer. I agree, but I still love Don Cheadle, so I have to forgive it. <laughs> yeah, no, I I, yeah. I think that's about it. Is that um, I love Don Cheadle, and I'm glad that he's doing this, and and we see Rhodey throughout the movies. I pr- and and I didn't have to work with Terrence Howard, right? Which is the yeah, impression sure. I right, get yeah. is that he was hard to work with, and he had demands, and they just severed their relationship with him. But if I had to choose, I think I prefer Terrence Howard's performance, but. But anyway, in this one, Rhodey gets to who in the in the comics, um, the story, the famous demon in the bottle story. Tony got so drunk that he basically couldn't be Iron Man, and Rhodey had to put on the suit and pretend to be Iron Man for a, quite a while while Tony was uh, in the depths of his alcoholism. And I, and he uh, was Iron Man back in the Secret Wars. Uh, so yeah. he he was he was Iron Man for a good. He, he long was yeah while. for 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 a while, and then when they did inevitably, as they do in the comics, bring back. The, the regular characters they made him War Machine which war is machine. actually mentioned in dialogue here where Tony says mm-hmm. you think you're some kind of war machine or whatever you're, well, you're this great war in, machine and then in the first movie Jeff Bridges does say like we're iron mongers too so yes, you know this that's is true. rich history you of gotta, dropping you gotta say your name text. right if you're a villain or a, or a sidekick <laughs> you gotta say your name I am Iron Man. Yeah. <laughs> I, which we didn't even talk about. One of the great one of the great endings of a movie ever in Iron Man 1, which we didn't talk about, so I'll mention it here, is with all of the stuff about secret identities, that scene is totally set up to be like, you know, who is the Iron Man? And to have it end w- literally with it just the line, I am Iron Man. The end. And that's the end of the movie. So great. And, yeah. and to the character. I love it. That's probably one of the great ends of... Almost any movie, I yeah. would argue. Certainly any action movie. <laughs> and I agree with you, Jason. The the whole the secret identity thing was a thing that was super played out in superhero yeah, movies. Totally. Right? <laughs> like we had all the Spider Man movies are about that. Oh, people will find out who I am. Batman movies, all about that. To immediately subvert that. And frankly, what I love about the MCU is that secret identities pretty much aren't a thing. Yeah. Everybody knows who Iron Man is. Everybody knows who Captain America is. Like, there is not mm-hmm. a lot of, I'm this guy, and if anybody finds out my secret, I'll be in trouble. Thor? He just is Thor. He doesn't even have a secret identity. <laughs> like, all of these characters, they, that is not a plot device in almost any of these movies. And it's refreshing because that trope got old real fast. Yeah. It reminds me, I was like, who else ended a movie like that? Well, nobody. It was Michael Keaton giving an, a commencement address last week. <laughs> where he ended, ended the commencement address. And by I'm the Batman. way, two, two words, I'm Batman. And See? mic drop. So easy. So easy. See, he tries, he tries in Batman. He tries to say that to Kim Basinger and he just can't. I thought, I thought he was the vulture. Yeah, he is also <laughs> the vulture. It's very confusing. It's less, less. Um, uh, okay. One of the things that I had forgotten from Iron Man 2 that I love is Sam Rockwell as the the super weaselly competitor to Stark who gets dismantled by Tony Stark in the Senate hearing. By the way, that's totally not how Senate hearings run. They don't, in the middle of it, Gary (laughs) Gary Shandling is the Senate. You don't, you don't immediately like say, Hey, by the way, your competitor is here and he's going to do a PowerPoint for you. Like that doesn't, that doesn't happen. But, but Justin Hammer, <laughs> Sam Rockwell, is so weaselly, and he tries so hard, and he's so not cool. It happens at the Grand Prix. It happens later when he's trying to be the villain, but he's really he's really not the villain because there's an actual villain. He's just he's hapless mm-hmm. kind of throughout, and 
and again, great casting. Like Sam Rockwell, that's a he's oh, a real yeah. actor, and he's playing this part that that like in Iron Man three actually, where they're they're, they're similar kind of undercutting of of villains that you think are villains and they aren't. Um, Justin Hammer, not a good guy. He's behind this whole thing, but he's he's a stooge and. It's a. I really enjoy that performance. I'd forgotten how much yeah. Sam Rockwell we get, and it's very funny. Yeah, he's great. I mean, in so many things, but this was was like like peak Sam Rockwell. I, yeah, um, right. Like be he as just, Weasley uh, as you can. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's like Do- almost like uh, that kind of. Uh, uh, Michael Scott feeling to him oh, too. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. That's I. I meant it to be like that. We're not really mm-hmm. competitors. He tries we're, we're really friends. hard. Too we're bu- hard. we're buddies. Yeah. We're you know we pretend to compete. You know and and yeah. Oh. I, I love that. Tony because clearly I like hates it. him. Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, then there's that moment where the reporter from the first movie. Uh, is talking to mm-hmm. him because he's going to get his big cover yeah. story in Vanity Fair. And meanwhile, in the background of the TV, the 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 all the action is happening, and she excuses herself, and he's just like, "You feel so bad." He's like, "This is my big moment." Nope, Tony Stark's ruined this too. Yeah, sorry, sorry, dude. You're never. You, at is least it, you're a billionaire because you got that going for you. That's it. Yeah. But- Sam Rockwell's entire remit for this movie is to portray an incompetent. Yeah. And he rises to the occasion. Yeah. Somehow he's a successful businessman, but he is bad at everything here. Um, he does. We do have, uh, by the way, I should mention this movie, Iron Man 2, because now Iron Man is cool, has uh, cameos from Larry Ellison and Elon Musk. Elon Musk. There is a funny yeah, moment yeah. where Tony actually Forgot says, I love that. I love that Merlin engine, which is the engine that they use wow. in, the, in the Falcon 9 uh, rocket. Uh, and and the, the best part about the Larry Ellison cameo is it's immediately followed by the Stan Lee cameo, uh, which mm-hmm. made me laugh out loud. That was a good. That was a little good moment because they they thought he was somebody else. Also, there's a there's a there's an there's an Oracle Pavilion at the end too. Yeah. just in yeah. case you didn't get enough Larry yeah, Ellison. There might have been some cash changing hands there. Also, it's like saying. a Japanese. It's like a Japanese garden, which is a very li- like very Larry, Larry Ellison, Ellison thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and that that leaves that leaves Mickey Rourke and speak yeah. talk about your peak peak character actors yeah. peak Mickey Rourke uh, as <laughs> Ivan Vanko the here. There's a great was it I think this was right after the wrestler I want to yeah, say this yeah I think after. he's coming off he's yeah. coming so off you having win an, won an Oscar, Oscar and then you yeah. get a big paycheck I think that's the the best yes. your best and, then you move. Go, and then you go away forever <laughs> and it's but you got the money and so it's okay so he's Ivan Vanko interesting character because his dad basically invented the arc reactor with with tony stark's dad and he's he is i i'm not again i don't want to prejudge somebody based on their looks but he's probably the least likely nuclear physicist since denise richards in the (laughs) bond movie where it's like really really they're nuclear scientists okay mickey works really well okay to be fair he had a pretty rough go of it in prison he did and he had yeah he probably just like worked out in prison and that was that was the story but you know what i love mickey work in this he's he is he is menacing but also has this light touch he really just wants his bird his real bird to be brought to him uh, he's got Not the he's got bird. the he's got the metal on his teeth. He's got his toothpicks that he's got with him. It's just he's got such sunglasses. A, he's the he's the inverse Tony Stark. It's so right? weird. Like, such a weird performance, and that's why it's so great. I think is so strange as Whiplash. It's, basically, it's incredibly weird uh, and yet somehow compelling. Um, I love that he basically 
um, he basically runs circles around most of the people in this plot, right? Yeah. Like through mm-hmm. the second half. And that's, uh, it's kind of interesting because you do have that whole bait and switch, like you said, with the, uh, with the villains. And yeah, Justin Hammer a, um, is being played severely. Right. He th- exactly. Hammer thinks he's totally got, there is that great scene where he's like, no, 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 we'll get you clearance. And he's like, I have hacked into your computer system already. Yes. <laughs> like, all right, uh, yeah. I guess we don't need clearance. And he just keeps like, I need, this isn't, this isn't, uh, you can't put a head in here. Can you, this is just a, this is a head. Right. And, and he's like, no, it's no worry. But drone is better. <laughs> like, yeah. He's well, the whole scene where he's like, I can make them salute, you know, and then, then later on when Justin Hammer takes all his, like, I took your bird, I took all your stuff, how does that make you feel? And you're like, he leaves him in that room with the two guards, and you're like, this is not going to no. go well for those guys. Yeah. <laughs> the two of them together are my favorite scenes in this movie. They are so wonderful together. <laughs> Mickey Rourke and Sam Rockwell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're perfect yeah. together. Yeah, yeah. That, that scene, I had forgotten that scene where where he's he's very much like oh well now welcome we're gonna get you started here it's like i have already taken control of everything <laughs> what <Yeah>. okay <laughs> uh, great i yeah all right great like it's just i guess he's hammer's just gotta go with whatever uh well, whatever venko wants it's great i, I want yeah. i want to draw particular attention to two things that i think really work in this movie uh action wise um one of which is the monaco racetrack sequence which mm-hmm. is, I think, fantastic. Uh, not I least agree. of all because you get you get the briefcase suit. Briefcase uh, suit is, is a great yeah. briefcase suit is fantastic, and I love the transition uh, throughout all of the uh, MCU films with Iron Man as his suit gets le- like more and more compact, more and more easy mm-hmm. to put on. Right, because in the first movie, they really do sell the fact that he's like he's got to spend his, all this time like getting like bolted into the suit, right? right? Yeah, and and then the begin we get that at the beginning of the fir- of Iron Man two where he takes the suit off at Stark Expo, right? And the same thing, he's got the robot taking the suit off, and then we're introduced like, oh, he's got a suit that fits in a briefcase, and like you know by now we're like, oh, he's got suits that are made of nanites, right? Like, mm-hmm. but it's a it's a gradient. Um, I love that aspect of it. I really appreciate the restraint there that they didn't just give him a super duper compact exactly. suit immediately. Well, and the fact that throughout all these films, there is a huge uh, trend of he basically destroys all of his stuff, right? right? Like he destroys yeah. all his suits, <laughs> and, like constantly, right? The, starting with the Mark One that he flies off, you know, in Iron Man One, and then it basically explodes when he hits the ground, um, all the way through all these suits. And this is the that is it's not one suit, right? Like this is a thing that I think in other superhero genres would be just like he's got like one awesome suit of armor. Oh no, that suit of armor he got destroyed. He's not super anymore. He has got dozens of yeah, suits. He just of keeps armor. Build, he keeps building he just them. Keeps that's, building that's more. part of it. I'm so glad that we're not talking about Iron Man three at this point. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a, that's a different a different show. But um, and they also make fun of that in the first movie where uh, he wants to throw away his first arc reactor yes. that he made, and Gwyneth Paltrow goes, "Oh no, we're saving this because we need a little bit of sentimentality." That has my one question mark though because i was like where did she take the super secret miniature arc reactor to get it framed <laughs> i thought yeah. the exact same thing i'm so glad I'm not the only one <laughs> well you know michael's in the mcu they you know they've, they've got a hazmat section <laughs> by the way if you do want to hear us talk about iron man 3 we talked about that one in uh, the incomparable 141 so you can go listen to that and see what we thought of iron man 3 when it came out whenever that was uh 2013 um wow. the the one part i like i think the whole grand prix thing is great it's a great set piece and the how's he gonna get out of this and and uh venko is like chopping up the 
cars into little pieces mm-hmm. and the one with Pepper and mm-hmm. Happy in it and all of that. And then the briefcase uh, Iron Man suit. And then th- that's a great moment. But then he still gets his, his, his butt kicked and barely mm-hmm. kind of manages to defeat Vanko in, the, in those moments. The one part of that that makes me laugh, though, every time I see it is they've got those kind of overhead panning shots. And it's just like it's literally a Mario Kart shot. <laughs> the, today's track will be Monaco. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it, but it's a great great set piece. It's bookended with the the end fight, which as I just wanted to add from before when we talked about Rhodey, uh, War Machine was a character I really liked in the comic books. I, looking back, I have no idea how I knew who he was, but I knew who he like as soon as I saw you know Rhodey in, in Iron Man one, I was like, oh god, I'm looking forward to War Machine. And in that last scene, we truly get Iron Man and War Machine together yes. as buddies facing off and i love that whole sequence where they're fighting off all the drones especially because it you know what it makes me feel like these are two buddies playing a video game with each other over xbox <laughs> True, <laughs> and it's just it's very heartening to see the two of them together as their little mini team taking all the the uh the drones on i, I love that sequence yeah, I like the character part of that, but I find the end of this movie kind of boring <laughs> with yeah. the, the the way it's sort of like, first off, it's basically replaying the end of the last movie, except with uh-huh. more suits of armor, which, you know, not again, not to get into Iron Man 3, but that was my big complaint about Iron Man 3 is sort of like, well, what if we did what we did before, but with more suits of armor? Like, okay. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, but character-wise, I really like the moment where Rhodey has to be rebooted and then mm-hmm. they're they have a conversation yeah. about like well you should go to the most capable guy should go to the high ground and they both start going there like no 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 but I got the big guns he said yeah but I you know th- those are dumb and and the hammer the the hammer ex wife thing that totally <laughs> fails and it's because it's hammer tech and he's like yeah hammer tech uh, that's I love the character aspect of that and seeing them time up but then you know Benko gets there and it's just like all right and here we are it's Ironmonger again basically and and that that part yeah. kind of bored me yeah but um but you know. Uh, this movie, I think Iron Man 2 is better than people give it credit for. I think there's a lot of really yeah. good stuff in here. It is struggling with the idea of where do you go with Iron Man after that first movie. And and you can see it. that This is, this is a movie that was formulated when they knew they were going to do a cinematic universe, right? They had Captain America coming. There was lots of Thor set up in this movie. But they're not there yet. And they, you know, there's Avengers set up with Black Widow, but they're not there yet. And so you end up with this kind of strange transitional movie where they're kind of retelling Iron Man again with some little bits connected to the future where they hope to be making these other movies. And I, I think that's what it suffers from more than anything else is yeah. it's neither mm-hmm. a sequel that is allowed to be a full on sequel, nor is it fully integrated into that kind of like franchise movie making that it would it would become. But that said, I really like that it, it that I like some of the performances. I think some of the actors in it are great. And I really like that um we lay Tony low that we, we allow him to take that victory lap that we all roll our eyes at at the beginning of the movie. I think that's, that that's with the Stark expo. I think that's like super necessary to see uh, him that high before he gets brought mm-hmm. down. Yeah. It's a much shaggier story than Iron Man one. Yeah. And yet the character performances, uh, I think that they're stronger and uh, I, and I just, I just like where it goes. I like the process of going to the climax of the movie, even if the climax is a repeat of the previous one. Uh, one moment in particular that is just just chills me, actually, every time that I see it 
is when Tony loses control at his birthday party. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and is just and, and is starting to shoot champagne bottles and watermelons and things like that. And it is patently obvious why Rhodey is going to go down and get the suit because otherwise somebody is going to get killed. Yeah, that was really, um, you know, that was really biting in the context of Robert Downey Jr. himself, you know, because you're like, this guy has everything, yet he is, he's so troubled, he's, you know, he's throwing it away on, um, you know, on this kind of behavior, this, this, this self, self defeating behavior, right? Which which you could argue Iron Man three, which again we're not talking about. Like that's one of the <laughs> that's one of the themes of Iron Man three, which comes after the Avengers, mm-hmm. is him coming to terms with the fact that he's he's really messed up. Like he's messed up by so many things, including what happens in the Avengers, and spends most of the movie not in an Iron Man suit. And um, that's one of the reasons I liked Iron Man three is because it was not like that. Mm-hmm. But I get why other people didn't like it because it was a very different kind of movie, and it was Shane Black, and not, that's not for everybody, I guess. But I liked it. Um, the yeah, but in this one, he, he yeah, I think that that to have the um, the confidence to have your leading man and your and your lead character that you're kind of already know you're predicating a franchise on now because the first one did so well. Yeah. And to have the confidence to have him like no, we're going to lean into him being a jerk who is uh just so pleased with himself about how awesome he is as Iron Man from that last scene in the last movie. We're going to do that and we're going to let the audience be like I'm kind of uncomfortable with how like the mm-hmm. dancing the the dancing girls with the little fake mm-hmm. repulsor rays and the fake arc reactor and all that. Yes. It's like yep. it's a little bit much, Tony, and like it totally is. <laughs> and and it it has us go through all those moments where it's like, am I supposed to be cheering this and thinking it's awesome because it's kind of over the top. It's like, yes, this movie can do mm-hmm. that and uh that's all to its credit. Even even if like, yeah, as a as a movie it feels like Chip, you were right. It's shaggy. It's like it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> quite know what it wants to be, but it's got a lot of kind of interesting ideas, and it's 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 the transitional form between like standalone superhero movie and giant franchise. It also it takes a best mo- a, one of my favorite best moments in this and turns it into one of my least favorite moments in this movie, <laughs> which is I love the scene where Tony watches the film reel of his dad and the outtakes. From from Howard yeah. talking about the expo, it's a fantastic scene of him because obviously the father issues are so hugely present in both of these movies. But then it turns, and I love the fact that even Howard leaves him something to discover. But then he has synthesizing an element from a laser. It's a little. That's <laughs> kind of a terrible scene. It also yeah. ne- like it oh. setting the junk science aside. That scene in, in general, I think, honestly, is totally super. Like. It just feels weird. It's like, it seems like a scene where they just had insert techno babble and they just like did this thing. It's like, now the problems are fixed. Yeah, the, char- it's like, the character beat, the fact that he's learning from his dad, he's trying to live. A- One of the reasons Tony is broken is that he feels like he can never live up to his dad. And we see with John Slattery, very Walt Disney, actually like super mm-hmm. thumbs up mm-hmm. to the oh, yeah. art direction of that, that he looks <laughs> yep. like Walt Disney and yep. he's, he's got his experimental community of tomorrow, right? And It totally reminded me of Tomorrowland back in the yep. day. Yeah. Yeah, yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and so so that that was all solid character wise, right? It's it's kind of funny where yes, where exactly. it works 
entirely as a character beat of him realizing that his dad loved him and thinks that his dad will his dad thinks he will surpass him and complete his life's work and be better in all these ways um and that's all great like character wise but then it's also you could uh use a laser to invent a new element (laughs) okay it's a triangle it's a very different kind of element it's a triangle you see yes Okay. I will forgive everything for that moment when he suddenly realizes that he had it turned the wrong way and he's torching his room. I'm, <laughs> that I'm is sorry. that is a funny moment. That that is funny, and the the pseudo cap shield that then gets shoved under part of it just to oh, balance yeah. it out. Yeah. And, and Colson's Colson's horror. Do you realize what this is? And Tarney's like, Yeah, I was just stick it's it right the there. It's thing. Good. Yeah. Well, Colson, of course, as we know later, huge Captain America fanboy exactly. too, which is makes that scene. A lot of the threads that are that are laid down there too, with Colson and with the rest of the Avengers Initiative, in both in, in both these movies, way. right? I mean, Colson that that's the oh, just Clark call Greg. a sh- just call a shield. It's a very good it, with not <laughs> a lot of scenes that the Clark Gregg gets to be Colson and and uh, connect to Tony and to. Pepper. Um, also, this is one of several retcons that Marvel ended up doing, where they put these Easter eggs in, thinking they didn't matter, like the the pieces of Captain America's shield in the first uh, Iron Man movie in the background, yeah. and then they realized, oh no, that doesn't make sense because we want to do a Captain America movie now and connect them. And so in this one, they make it they make a joke about it. There's also an Infinity Gauntlet in Thor, I want to say, and yes. then in Thor Thor three, Thor Ragnarok, it's, I think they say, fake. oh, it was a fake because again. Yep. <laughs> no, it was an Easter egg that everybody was supposed to laugh at. And then, oh, no, we actually need to use that for the plot. We can't use that <laughs> We here. need that now. My other favorite retcon they did was uh, the little boy that Tony saves wearing yes. an Iron Man mask. I didn't know that was a thing. Is now apparently Peter Parker. Yes. <laughs> That's they retconned so it. So the actor who plays the kid where he's like wearing the little Iron oh. Man mask in Iron Man 2 is John Favreau's son. and. Okay. They yeah. later on, like apparently, um, John Watts, the director of Spider Man, was watching it and was just like, Yeah, I'm just sort of spinning stuff out there. I'm like, Oh, that could have been Peter Parker being inspired by Iron Man. And he like called up like John Favreau and Kevin Feige, and they're like, Yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> apparently, that's semi canonical. Yeah, it's weird, but there it is. Why, why not? Why not? They, they, why not? It, it works age wise. It makes sure it, it works. And this is a, again, this is a movie that's just kind of a mess and all over the place. And yet, you know, again, I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's, uh, I think no. it's just kind of messy and, and weird and a little bit of an outlier. But because uh, well, this is the only yeah. direct sequel they made before they did Avengers in phase one, right. they did one movie for everyone except for Iron Man who got two. And this is doing all of the legwork for Iron Man that they know they're going to do in Thor and uh, Captain America to bring everyone together for the Avengers. And this is the yeah. first time they can do like a chapter almost because it does have that second movie, middle movie, like sluggishness, not knowing right. what it's supposed to be. It only makes sense in the context of the movies before and after it. So going forward, they were able to have the convince to do that and i remember seeing uh captain america civil war in theaters and remembering oh they have the confidence to do this now they can just have a two and a half hour movie that's not really a movie just an annual episode of a tv show it's ridiculous <laughs> well it's also one of the only it's the iron man franchise is the only i think aside from guardian galaxy sort of it's the only one that's just sequentially numbered as opposed to having like sub headings like Thor, the Dark World, or Thor, Ragnarok, right? Like, it's Iron Man 2, it's Iron Man 3. They kind of got away from that really quick. I think they didn't know going into Iron Man 2, like, what do we call this? Do we do we put a subtitle? Do we put a number? Let's just put a number. Uh, and it's Iron weird. Man, whip it good. It's, it's weird. That would have been way better. It's, it's also weird 
just weird filmmaking point the credits are up front which is super weird in this movie because pretty much every other except for i think the incredible hulk beyond this it's always just like you know maybe you get the title card and then at the end you have all the real credits um with all the like casting and stuff but this one has like old school like here's who's in this movie here's who directed this movie all overlaid on the on the film at the beginning which i just thought watching it again for the first time was like oh this is they hadn't quite figured this no. out yet, had they? This is this is back when it was a movie and not a Marvel movie installment. And it it yeah, I mean you could argue I mean, Incredible Hulk came out before this, but you could argue that this is the first movie where they really know that this thing because the first Iron Man did so well, that really know that this is gonna be a franchise with interconnected movies. This is the launching off point for the Captain America movie, the Thor movie, and ultimately the Avengers movie. And so they're making moves in that direction, but it's almost like the audience doesn't know that they're going in that direction quite yet. And so it's it's yeah, it's a weird in between state. But um but uh, these were fun to watch. And and that first Iron Man, I would just put that up against almost anything in terms of just a yeah. really yeah, good, a really good movie. superhero movie. In, in uh, And and don't it, it, it got its success, honestly. It was a wild success for a lot of really good reasons. So, uh, you know, don't, if you haven't watched it in a while, I think, you know, maybe revisit it. It's uh, it's worth it. It's, it's worth worth it to revisit that movie that, that earned its it's almost six hundred million dollars at the box office. Like it's which, a little movie. It's a, for, it's a for, little movie. Well, who's who the heck is Iron Man? Nobody knows. Nobody knows who mm-hmm. that is. That's a he's a B lister. He's not important at all. And now everybody knows who Iron Man is. So I guess job well done. All right, uh, that is going to wrap up our first installment in the summer of Marvel. But there fun. Are, oh, Marvel, right? Sure, summer <laughs> of fun. Marvel is fun. So we're going to be back to talk about more in the, of these really weird, quirky indie movies that nobody's ever heard of from Marvel. Uh, for Marvel, in, like the ice cream. Yeah, yeah, Mar- yeah. That's right. Try it rhymes uh, with Car- Carvel. Yeah, try an Iron Man cake. Um, the uh, I broke my tooth, so we're going to. <laughs> I'm looking forward to next year's Captain Carvel movie. Yeah, the, fr- oh. the first uh, uh, cookie cake, first the first ice cream cake, something like that. The subtitle. We'll we'll, we'll work on the subtitle. Anyway, we will be. You back really fudged that one, Jason. In successive weeks with other uh, things, I think we are going to tackle the Incredible Hulk next time. That's the one I haven't seen. But uh, but uh, thanks to my uh, panelists for being on this inaugural effort, just as Iron Man launched a brilliant, successful franchise, so too did this episode launch whatever the heck this is. Dan Morin, thank you. You guys look like two seals fighting over a grape. Gene McDonald, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to the summer of Marble. Marvel, Woo! not Marble, um, because... Uh, yeah, there are a bunch of these movies that I haven't seen, and I'm looking forward to hearing my fellow incomparable lights discussing them because I'm going to go and back and watch some of them. Nice. It's it's. Uh, I thought it was time to time to do a little bit of a rewatch myself, which is one of the reasons we're doing this. Chip Sutter, thank you for being here. Iron Man, Iron Man does whatever an iron can. <laughs> Steams a shirt, squishes ants, puts the creases in your pants. Watch out. <laughs> Here comes the Iron Man. <laughs> and uh, uh, Brian Hamilton, this is not my bird. Has he lost his mind? Can he see? Or is he blind? Excellent use of the uh, <laughs> use of that song in the credits for Iron Man. What original. song? Actually, all the music. Forgot to mention music. Oh, yeah. 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 It's the, oh, well, good soundtrack. Good, good soundtrack. Great, not great not soundtrack. great scores. Not great scores, but good soundtrack. Yeah. 
All right. Well, thanks everybody out there for listening. You, uh, you know, you're in the summer of Marvel now, whether you like it or not. You better like it. Anyway, I've been your host, Jason Snell. We will see you next week for more of the summer of Marvel. Goodbye. Goodbye.